Thank you so much for that. Hello, Sterling. How are we doing, guys? You doing good this morning? Everybody okay? You're beautiful. You guys all right? Hey, we had a snow day yesterday. How was that? Yeah, snow day. Snow day. That's awesome. Um, it has been great to be here for these last uh, three days uh, with you guys. And got a chance to meet some of you guys' students, some of you students, and been able to gauge. I learned how to play Palace. Any Palace players in the building? Any Palace? Just a few. Good deal. I dominated. I stayed in the rounds. I may have lost a couple, but it was fun. And we had a blast and just going to be able to connect with you guys. And so I, about from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you all uh, for having us here for these last few days. And thank you so much for inviting us, and we really appreciate it. And we have a real heart and a love uh, for Sterling College. And um, it's been a beautiful thing to watch. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about today, but uh, this is so different than when I was here um, in 2005. And I think that has a lot to do with the direction um, of, president, of the president. I think that has a lot to do with the direction of the faculty and the staff. I think that has a lot to do with even the impact that student life and coaches are making. But even more than that, it has a lot to do with putting God first and staying forced and just looking forward to the vision that what you guys have. And I'm so impressed, and it's such an honor to be here. Um, and with that said, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I love the Warriors. Once a Warriors, always a Warriors. Um, it has been awesome to be here. Um, today, we're going to talk about um, the unspoken thing in faith. We're going to talk about that we normally don't talk about. And we're going to talk about grace and faith. Um, and you think about it, that could be a tough conversation to have. On that way to the journey, I love to set the direction which way we're going to go. I love to be able to say, hey, we're going to go this direction. If we're going to Disneyland, we're going towards Orlando. But every time I'm on a family trip, we end up having detours no matter what. Something always causes us to take a detour. So this morning, I'm going to take a detour towards the direction that we're going to go. But don't worry, we're going to finish the topic and we're going to have a great conversation about race and faith together. But I do want to take this quick detour because I believe if we do take this detour together, then we'll be able to have an object lesson that we can really hold on to and we can really have this object lesson that we can all look at and have this great, robust conversation. My job here today is to really just pour out into you guys and really to just make you think um, and make you uh, have some more conversations. Basically, my job is to come mess up your whole thought process, bounce and leave and let the faculty and staff and all you guys worry about. That's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm here to do. But I just want to get a chance to, for you guys to think about a few things. But before I do that, let's take a detour real quick. It was, I was about eight years old at my house, and I had three best friends, um, um, and they lived right across my house. Um, and here's the thing with my three best friends. They were all white, um, and, but we were like the best friends that anyone could have, like four best friends that anyone could have. We were like a wolf pack. That's what we were like. That's what we were like. And we had so much fun together. But here's the problem. The thing is that they would go to their mom's house, and whenever they would go to the mom's house, I wouldn't see them for a weekend. And then the weekend, next weekend after that, they would come back and we would have fun. And we decided that, you know what, we need to let the world know that we are the four best friends of all time, and we need to let everyone know that no one will ever break our bond of friendship. 
So we started to come up with different ideas. What could we do to make sure we are four best friends? And it's like these weird young guys at eight years old just standing in a circle coming up with different ideas. And it was some terrible ideas. One guy had an idea to say, hey, let's take this pocket knife and let's, let's, be, let's, let's, let's just cut her and touch the blood. Let's just be blood brothers. And I was like, I don't know about you, but my culture where we come, we just don't. We don't do that. We don't do <laughs> we, we, we just, we, I don't even know that's sterile. I don't even know that word at eight years old, but I knew that wasn't right. And so we tossed around all these different ideas how we could make sure we become the best friends. And then we said, ha, I had this one great idea. Let's, I'm, I'm thinking about, I think I saw it on a movie once. Let's, let's, let's create, and I'm eight years old, so I think I used the wrong word for it. Let's create a time capsule. Let's create a time capsule. I think I was eight, so I was like, a time castle. Let's create a time castle. <laughs> and they're like, what's a time castle? Uh, and I'm like, well, you know, the things you put in your box or you go bury it. Oh, you said ca- capsule. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. With it. But you know what I meant. And so here's what we decide to do. How many of you guys know what a time capsule is? Yeah, you take some of your most valuable things, some of your most valuable gifts, and you put it in a huge treasure box, and you go get this treasure box, and you put all your gifts in there, and then you go bury it, and then about 20 years later, you come back, and you remember all these great thoughts and these great wonderful things, and it was going to solidify that we were best friends, and we're best friends forever. So at eight years old, I did what any kid would do. We started to think out the box. How are we going to make this time capsule work? And the only thing I knew to do was to go ask my mom. Hey, mom, can you buy this super big treasure box so that we can be a treasure box so we can be friends forever, forever? And, you know, mom's only response is, uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. So I got the best next thing. <laughs> I got a Nike box, little cardboard thing, and I got some duct tape. See, y'all don't know nothing about Nike box and being creative and duct tape. Y'all live in a world where video games, we had to be really creative back then. <laughs> Just come up with stuff. So we got this Nike box and we got this duct tape. And we put, each and every one of us, put our four favorite toys, our four favorite gifts that someone else has given us. And we each put it in there. And we had to make a sacrifice. And we knew it was a tough sacrifice because we would know that we would no longer have our favorite gift and our favorite toy. And we all put it in there. And then we wrapped it around duct tape. And then we went and got a shovel. And we went to the scary woods, and it was the woods that no one had ever gone to, which was about 10 feet from my house in the backyard. And we walked and jumped over the fence, and we went to the crazy woods, crazy woods. And we took a shovel, and we began to dig, and we began to dig, and we began to dig. And the next thing you know, we put this time capsule in there. We, we buried it. We buried it, and we remembered, and we put our hands in and said, we're going to remember this spot forever. And we are the four best friends of all time. Yeah. We had done something remarkable in our eyes. But here's the thing. See, what had happened was, <laughs> you know when anyone says that, like something's about to go down. <laughs> See, what had happened was that when Dustin and Aaron and Chris, they were gone to their dads, I got a little lonely. And I started to miss my favorite toy. And I didn't know what to do. 
and I was on the inside, I'm craving, like, this is my favorite. So I did what any eight-year-old would do, honoring the pack. I thought, you know what, it's okay. Maybe I just take my best, second best toy, because that's still of value. And maybe I go, and I go, and I'm going to go just go grab this, grab this shovel. So that's what I did. I went to the backyard, passed my dad, looked at him, he looked at me, and I went to, to the woods that no one's ever gone before. And I went by myself, and I dug the shovel, and I opened up the box, and I just did it real quick. I switched the number one toy for number two toy. No big deal. No big deal. Wrapped it back up, dug it back. No one ever knew. <laughs> it was great. Then Dustin, Aaron, and Chris came over the next time. We had a great fun time. We had a blast. It was great. We had so much fun. But then the next weekend they left, and something happened on the inside of me. There was a void that I got tired of playing with my favorite first toy, and I really, really missed my second toy. And so I did the same thing. I went and got a shovel. True story right here. I went and got a shovel, begin to dig and begin to dig. But when I opened it this time, you'll never guess what I saw. <laughs> I was like, wow. Here's what I saw that Dustin and Aaron had switched out their favorite toys <laughs> and put in their second favorite toys. And it's this time capsule. I'm like, oh, great. So I put in my third favorite toy, wrapped it up, put it back in, and it happened. It was crazy. Eight years old. Mind blown. Next weekend, Dustin and Aaron and Chris came over. Had a blast. We kicked it hard. It was lit. We, we had so much fun. We had so much fun, and then the next weekend, something happened. They left, and um, I had this void, and I went to go do the same thing, and I picked up this shovel, and as I'm going to the scary woods, walking past my dad, I heard a voice that no one ever wants to hear, and here's what the voice said. Cameron Charles, that was my dad. He called me by my middle name. I'm like, oh. Oh, I had the shovel in my hand. He said, Cameron Charles. I said, yeah, Dad, yeah. He said, put down that shovel. Put down that shovel. And the next words that he said were remarkable to me. Put down that shovel. He said, you never bury the gifts that someone else has given you. Put down the shovel. You never bury the gifts that someone else has given you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this peacemaker convocation. I thank you, Lord, that we can spend some time together to have some robust, provocative conversations and ones that will lead us closer together know that we are better together than we are apart. God, we love you, we honor you, and we worship your holy name. Hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for that detour real quick. Put down that shovel. Put down that shovel. And so today, uh, this is what I want to talk about. Today, there's a story in the Bible, Matthew 25, and we're going to get ready to go to uh, verse 14. And it's this guy um, that we get the chance to get to know. Um, um, 
and he has this talent, and he has a talent. And some of you guys might remember that story. And here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is sharing with his disciples what the end times must look like. Jesus is sharing them different stories and different parables to allow them to connect, allow them to understand, and allow them to give more insight. I love how Jesus uses stories and parables to make sure that we connect and actually to move us to a larger point. And actually, really, the parables makes us put us right in the, the situation that we can feel, we can hear, we can, we can see it, and we can understand it. It's kind of like that sh- shovel story. You can see my dad just yelling at me and saying, put down that shovel. It, it, Jesus uses this all the time, and he uses this parable right here. And it's one of my favorites. And here's how the parable goes. And most time whenever the parables, whenever they would do parables, he would just tell a story. So we get a chance to read it. But really, Jesus is just really telling a story. And here's how the story goes. On the screen is actually the verse, and so I'm going to paraphrase it, um, and I'm going to do my best just to remember it and just tell it as if it's a story. If there's any words off, you'll be able to see right there and be on the back because we're all on the same page. And so here's how the story goes. The story goes like this. A master went on a long journey, and as he going on a long journey, he gave everything else to his servants. He gave them five. To one of his servants, he gave five talents. To another servant, he gave two talents. And to the last servant, he went and had gave them one uh, one talent, knowing, recognizing that he'll be back at some point. Once they left, the one with five talents immediately went to work, and he went and got five more talents. You guys know this story. And the one with two talents immediately went to work, and he went and put that talents to use, and he he made that talent work, and he he immediately got two talents, but then he got two more talents. And then the one with one talent, what does he do? He goes and picks up a shovel. And he digs, and he buries it, and he buries it. Now, after a long time off, the story begins to say that the master eventually came back home, and the master came back home, the one with five talents ran there with him with expectation and joy, and he ran to him and said, Master, Master, look, you gave me five talents, and here, look to you, I present to you five more talents. And he says to him, you good and faithful servant, you have done well done, the kingdom of heaven is yours, come on, let's rejoice, that means, let, come on, let's party. You've done well. And to one of the two talents, he came to the master and said, Master, Master, look, look, you gave me two talents, but here, look at this, look at this. I, I, I've gotten you and given you two more talents. And he says, you good and faithful servant, you've done well. Come on, rejoice with me. But the one with the one talent, could you imagine him walking to the master after he's seen the other dude? And he begins to walk, and he begins to walk with his head down and says, Master, master, I, I present to you this one talent, this one talent. See, see, I knew that you were a hard God, and I knew you reaped where you did not sow, and I knew you gathered where you did not scatter. And, and so, therefore, I was afraid, so I went and buried it, picked up a shovel, and buried it in the ground. And the master responds to him, if you knew I was a hard, if you knew those things, if you knew those things about me, and if you really knew me, you would at least took that talent and invested it in something and invested it in the bank to at least get a return. He says, you're slothful. You're wicked. 
go, go somewhere else. Put him in a dungeon. Go somewhere else. And he says this. Give the other person who had one talent, give it to him. Give it to him. For much is given, much is required. I think about that story all the time. And I want to use that story as we get ready to talk about this conversation. Uh, the two men in the story did exactly what they were supposed to do and really put that talent to use. But the other guy, the third guy, buried his talent. He buried his talent. And here I am. I'm thinking of this talent as like one little penny or one little circle. But actually this talent weighed about 75 pounds historically. And this talent was about worth about 16 years of wages. Roughly around $1.4 million was one talent that he took and buried. I don't know about you, but if I get $1.4 million, $1.4 how many of you guys are like one point, Jesus, just give me $1.4 million. How many of you guys would just put that in your back pocket and do nothing with it? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. I mean, I got a lot of things I think I, right now I can do with $1.4 million. I mean, pay off one, my student loan can go bye-bye. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I can do some charitable things. I can do some selfish things. I mean, there's enough to go around. What this $1.4 million, I don't know about you, represents potential. It represents potential. The word potential means that you got the capability, you got the ability to do something with it. You, you have a chance, you have the gifting, you have everything that you need to make something happen. That's what potential means. You have everything you need to make something happen. But the question is, what do you do with your potential? Have you ever met someone who had so many gifts and so many talents, but you see them all the time and they do nothing with it? Man, you got so many gifts and you got so many talents. But you just sit there and do nothing. That's what he did. He buried his gift. He buried his gift. Never doing nothing with it. Here's the thing I want to say. You have potential. And here's the thing. As I transition, as we get ready to have these great conversations, we get ready to have these wonderful conversations. I just want to let you know that I'm from a generation that started this, and I'm really sorry, parents. I'm really sorry, anyone that's older than me, but my generation really kind of started this, and it's really bad. But I'm from the generation of where we ask why. Like, my mom, I, my mother was, like, furious with me. I was like, I'm that kid that always asks why. Like, why is peanut butter and jelly not called jelly and peanut butter? And like, why is rock, paper, scissors not called paper, rock, scissors? And why does my mom, grandma sometimes put her teeth in a glass bowl? <laughs> I don't understand why I have so many questions. I had so many questions that I look at. I'm from a why generation. And I'm, I, ask, I just begin to ask myself, why? Have you ever asked God why? My wife and I went to this awesome conference in Tulsa, and we had this great time, and it was a 24-7 prayer movement, and it was great. But then all of a sudden, something struck me on the inside and began to provoke my thought. And all of a sudden, here's what I recognized. I was like, this is a great conference. This is so cool. This is so great. And then I began to look around, and no one else looked like me. 
I was the only person of color. Me and my wife were the only two people, person of color. And I began to say, why? Why? And I began to ask myself, why is that? That everywhere I go, I feel like I'm the only one. And why is it that, that there's no one even on the platform that even looks like me? I just began to ask myself, why? And I was so disturbed the rest of the trip. My wife would tell you, I could barely even concentrate on the good things that was happening. God was just like doing something in my heart. Why was it like this? Why, 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 why? And so when we started our church, we wanted to be intentional about this. When we decided to plant a church, we thought, we can't do this. We have to be intentional about being multicultural and really making sure to the point of people on stage, of people on worship, that we had to make sure that everyone felt represented. And, and that causes some, some things, and it makes it a little harder sometimes. But, but I wanted you to be willing to ask yourself, why? Why? And here's one day I was praying to God, and I'm just praying because I'm from that why, and, I, and I'm praying, I'm praying that prayer that everybody knows, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be our name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then all of a sudden I couldn't pray anymore. I said these few words, on earth as it is in heaven. And I got stopped right there. On earth as it is in heaven. And God began to talk to me just in my mind, and, and, and he said to me, what is heaven going to be like? <laughs> I was like, well, heaven's going to be great. I mean, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be chilling. I have a crib or a house. It's called a mansion. I can't wait to do that. I can't wait to be gold. He said, what else is heaven going to be like that? What else, what else is heaven going to be like? He says, and who's going to be at heaven? Who's going to be in heaven? Well, I don't know. Anyone who believes in you, God, and who follows after you. And he says this, what do they look like? What do they look like? I'm like, is that a trick question? Well, they're all different colors and all different races and all different backgrounds. And then God stopped me and said to me, ask me. I'm like, ask you what, God? No, 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 ask me the question you want to ask. Ask me what you always ask. And I said, why? Why, why what? Why does this not look like earth? Why does this not look like earth? Then I didn't hear his voice anymore. So I got to thinking, I got to praying, and here's what I know. I was thinking and just thinking about this on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is heaven. And I'm praying and praying and, being, and just being moved and praying. And here's the thing. I, here's what I know. Whenever I pray for something, I believe it has the potential to happen. Do you believe that? Otherwise, there would be no reason to pray. So whenever I pray, I believe there is potential there for that to happen if so God so moves. And so every time I pray this Father's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven, do you really believe that there's potential for that to really happen right here, right now, this day and age? That we will be able to worship with each other. 
different races, different colors, different movements, different expressions. Do you believe that we will be able to do that, that on earth as it is in heaven? And, and I think we really do have that thought process, but do we really believe that? And if we really believe that, why is this quote still true today that Martin Luther King Jr. said? Why is this quote? He said that this quote, the most segregated day of the week is Sunday. You ever thought about that? He said that about back in the 60s, and it's still true today. That the most segregated week is one of our, as believers, one of our favorite days of the week where we get to worship God and come together as a gathering. But we are separate. But we pray on earth as it is in heaven. But Sunday mornings are separate. Wow. Just let that sink in just a little bit. Let that sink in just a little bit. It should feel some type of way. When I went to Atlanta, Georgia for the first time, I was in culture shock. See, I lived in Kansas all my entire life, and the next thing I know, I go to Atlanta, Georgia, and there's nothing but African Americans everywhere, and I mean, I mean, they were working, and they were business owners, and they were in charge of hotels, and I'm like, wow, I am nervous. Like, where am I? I'm not in Kansas anymore. I've never seen so many people of diversity and leadership roles. I never went to the university and saw so many different professors that looked like me. It was mind-blowing. Actually, I was culture shocked. Actually, I was a little nervous, to be honest. Never seen it before in my life. But here's four things that I think can move us towards peace and move us towards unity and diversity. Because unity and diversity, us becoming one, is what God has called us to do in John 14, to be one, to be one with each other. And we can only do that if we're unified and diversified. I really believe that, that we cannot no longer bury our potential and bury our gifts. He buried it. He buried it. Here's, here's four things, the reason why he buried his gift, and we can look at it in Scripture. He, the first thing he did is was his perspective of God. He buried his gift because of his perspective. He says, God, Master, Master, I knew that you were a hard God. His perspective was that the Master was really tough and really hard, which made him bury his gift. And the question is, the reason sometimes that we don't come together is because our point of view and our perspective and those thoughts that we have about people that we don't necessarily really know um and a perspective is a particular attitude towards a way of regarding something of a point of view have you ever thought that your perspective may be off sometimes we have some misguided point of views when we got ready to start a church a lady came up to us and um it was so funny so i laughed so hard so i i really invite you to laugh and um 
she began to look at me and look at my wife, and she's like, oh, you guys getting ready to start a church, huh? And I was like, yeah, we're getting ready to start a church. And she goes and asks me this question. So at your church, will there be, like, older ladies with big hats there, and they're going to have big on hats and big old hats on? And, and, they're being, and I'm, like, looking at her, like, so confused. I'm like, I don't know, but I don't think so. And when you get to your church, will there be people like running around and really excited all over the place and, and running around and, and just kind of acting crazy? Is that what your church does? And I'm like, what? I mean, I think we'll raise our hand. Jesus, we might wipe the window clean once in a while, praising God. <laughs> we might do a little jump or something like that. But I don't know. I mean, if someone's moved to do that, I don't know how. But what she was describing to me of her point of view of the church that we were getting ready to start was, to be frankly honest, she thought for sure that we were going to start her typical stereotype, black church. point of view, her point of view was that we we're going to start a black church. And that was her perspective. And through this perspective, we gained different stereotypes and different things along that lines. And, 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 and we do it every day. When I came to school here, and this is totally different than what Sterling is now, but when I came to school here, I sat about right here, and I was probably half asleep most of the time, and I wore my biggie, big baggy jeans, and back then we had long tees that went like this. It was fresh. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I was fresh to death. <laughs> I had my J's on my feet, and I was fly. Them J's on my feet, and I was fly. <laughs> For those that don't know, those are called Michael Jordan shoes. <laughs> And I had my hat on backwards, and here I am sitting here, and I came in hungry and searching and was at this point in my life for God, wanting someone to speak to me. Now, this is totally different than where we're at now, and I really believe that here at Sterling. But there I was, half asleep, sitting right over there with all the basketball players, wanting someone. But day in day, every time I came to chapel, every time I went to my hermeneutics class, every time I went to this class in the Bible, no one even stopped to speak to me. There was groups over here gathering, reading the word, and I would walk by and looking hardcore because I was, <laughs> and, and, and just being me. No one thought to invite me. And maybe I should have went on myself and jumped in. But at that point in time, here I'm out in the middle of nowhere. No one looks like me and no one can really kick it with me or relate with me. And here I am and I'm just waiting for someone to speak, to stop, to get to hear my story, my perspective. Now, maybe I came off a little standoffish. Maybe that was it. But that was all shell stuff. And I got to believe there was a few people here that I really connected with and really began, in the, began to get to know, and that was good. But for the most part, it was hard. In the second semester, I, I used to come in, and I used to try to sneak out any sneak out of people in here. Don't raise your hand. You're okay. It's a safe place. <laughs> and I used to try to sneak out, and to the point where I didn't even come anymore, and to the point here I am, I hate to admit it as a pastor, but I failed chapel. 
No one on the stage was ever looked like me. Spoke into my life. Sometimes our point of view of a person, just because what the outer looks like, may be off. May be off. And we need to put down our shovel of our perspective and what we know. And we need to, we need, we need to put down our shovel on that rock. And the next thing you know is he says, I was afraid. The guy with the talent says, the reason, the reason I didn't go try to do something with the talents was I was afraid. I was afraid of you. And, and, and he says, I was scared. And here's the thing I got to say, that God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. That do not be afraid, for fear is a self-imposed prison that will keep you from becoming what God has called you to be. It will keep us from becoming the nation that we're supposed to be. Fear will stop that in its tracks tracks fear fear uh when i became a youth pastor and i would go in the youth room i um years later after i really became a believer and god hit me i was speaking in the youth room and i used to sometimes walk anywhere with my hat backwards and this older white guy looked at me straight in the eyes he had the most purest blue eyes i could see him he's one of my favorite people today he's actually one of the people that really set me down and discipled me um his name's jim reynolds and i love him to death but here's this moment that we had this moment of conflict for the first time and i have my hat on backwards and he looks at me as i go in the youth room he knows i'm getting ready to talk to the kids and he says you need to turn your hat the right way you need to turn your hat the right way, young man. And I go, why? You need to turn your hat the right way. The rest of the kids will know how to wear their hat right. <laughs> and I just looked at him. I said, all due respect, sir, I'm clearly trying to show the kids that even though I have my hat on backwards, I can still be a believer. See, God doesn't worry about the hour. He worries about what? And right there, he paused and he stopped. And then all of a sudden, his fear and his notion of everything he thought left him. And the next thing I know, we begin to meet me, this older white guy, me and my friend who was another black guy, and he took us underneath his wings, and we met every day for four years, every Tuesday mornings, every single Tuesday morning for four years, and we read the book of Acts for four years straight, three of us, six in the morning, we go to the church, we read the book of Acts. Here's this white guy discipling me and like really pouring into me and really taking this time and really showing me what the word of God is. And it was, it was awesome. It was great. And we began to have these robust conversations about different cultures and different things and different styles, all because he was willing to let go of the fear and come to the table and stop looking out the outside. But he began to really look at my heart and my character. The first time, right there, it changed my life. It changed my life. Where friendships begin, stereotypes end. Can you agree with that? Where friendships begin, Stereotypes and and you know this to be on different teams and different sports teams and all that different stuff to be a, to be a part of that and you're on different teams and different cultures, you know that you build a relationship with people that don't look like you and different things. And you know that when friendships begin, you're like, I never thought that person was like that. Actually, that person is pretty cool. I thought he was really a nerd. But he's really actually pretty cool once I got a chance to get to know him. 
to not be afraid to make an impact on this planet. Can I challenge? Put down your shovel. Even a person of color in here, don't be afraid to speak up and to make an impact on this campus. Put down your shovel. The campus is waiting to hear from you. The campus is waiting for you to run for SGA. The campus is waiting for you to be a part of the student life. Don't just stick with your group. Put down your shovel. We need to hear your voice. There is too much on the inside of you. And you know way too much and you have way too many gifts and too many talents to just be sitting there and waiting for the time of your four years of struggling to go by. If you're going to be here, make an impact. Be a part because we are waiting for you. That's a good place for amen. (laughs) We're waiting. We're waiting. This campus doesn't get better if you don't step up and begin to run for different things, to be a part of the drama club, to be a part of the SGA, is multicultural, to be able to be the beautiful part, to be the church, to be the warriors. We shouldn't, the only time we ever see diversity is on the athletic field. That shouldn't be the only time. We have some smart kids here. I believe all of you guys are, but don't bury your gifts. Don't pretend that you don't know. Don't pretend that you're not smart. Stop pretending that you're asleep when you're really awake like me. Stop. <laughs> don't bury your gifts. Don't bury your gifts. The next thing he said about this, and we're about to finish today. He says, the master responds to the talent guy in two ways. He says this, you were slothful, meaning that you were lazy. And the reason that you really buried your talents was because you were lazy and because you are lazy. And laziness means to me is don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. The number one reason why people tell me that they don't want to, when it comes to faith, they don't want to intermingle is because of their preference. Their preference. Well, I prefer, you know, um, I just prefer a different style. And I prefer this. And you know what? The number one reason why we don't really get together, let's just be honest, is the songs we sing. Okay, I said it. Never mind. You take it. You do with it. Whatever we want. <laughs> you do what you want. You do what you want. Well, I'm going to be real. And the preferences. I like this better. I like this better. I like this. But didn't God call us to die to our preference ourselves? And, and you might have an insight where your theology is pretty solid. That's great. If you have a solid theology, maybe it's time not to be just, it's so easy to be with people that we're comfortable with. You go to the lunchroom and everybody sits in the same spot. The softball team has sat in the same spot for 20 years, softball team. The basketball team has sat in the same spot for 20 years. And you get around people who look like you and it's natural and it is okay. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's, it's comfortable and it's easy to do because we Lots of people that look like us and talk like us and, and believe like us. We, it's easy to do. But if we're going to really make a dent in this thing, we cannot be slothful or lazy and just being, oh, well, I feel comfortable here. We have to be intentional. Intentional. Being intentional causes you to move. Being intentional causes you to switch tables. Being intentional says, I need to speak to someone that may look a little bit different than me. Here's the last thing that happens. He knew that he knew, he says this, if 
The master says, if you knew me, if you only knew me. And here's the question that he says. He says this. He says, if you only knew me, and here's my challenge to you, to really get to know someone. When you really get the chance to know someone, things begin to change. If you really begin to get to know me and get to know my personality, not what I look like or my style, but really begin to get to know one, you will notice that their stories are just like yours. And that we all have some troubling stories. We all have some heartache. We all have some victories in our stories. And we can all relate. We are more like each other than we are not. But if you only take the time to know someone, we have a huge media is really pushing an uproar of a racial kind of riot right now. It's time, it's trying to ramp it back up. I really believe it's one of the attacks of the enemy that is really trying to really, 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 really know that if we can divide us as a racial country again, if he can divide us, we know that our potential will go down the waste. And sometimes the enemy knows our potential more than we do. And it's really, he really, the racial division, and you guys can feel the heaviness sometimes, even the racial, that, and it's starting to stir up a little bit. But here's the one thing, if there's any beacon of hope, if there's any light of the hill, it is the church. And here's my, what I believe. I really believe if we want to solve the racial issues in America, then it will start with us worshiping together and it will start with the church being able to be multicultural. It will start with us being able to pray together. It will start with us to be able to come together on Sundays and then everyone will say and look at the church of the light of the hill. If the church can do it, then surely it will happen in the world. But it starts with the church. We are the church. That was Dr. Martin Luther King's dream. That's I have a dream speech. That's what it was all about, right? One of his quotes in there, I won't read the whole thing, but he says, with this faith, my Lord, we will be able to work together, pray together, struggle together, go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, you knowing that we will be free one day. He says, this will be the day that when the, when will be the day when all of God's children will sing that old spiritual song. And we have sent my country to the deep sweet land of the liberty of thee I sing. Land of my fathers for I land of my children for I from every mountainside let freedom ring. This will be the day when we come together. He, and he says, my dream is that my, we would no longer be judged by the, the color of our skin, but by the color of our uh, character. He says, one day we'll be able to stand together as the church and be able to say that old Negro song, let freedom ring, let freedom ring. Thank God Almighty. Let freedom ring. That was his dream. Finishing up, going back to my story, my dad. My dad said this, don't bury the gift that someone else has given you. And here's what I say. Don't bury the gift that God has placed on the inside of you. We all need each other. There is room at the table for everyone to have a spot. You were uniquely and wonderfully made. God created you in your mother's womb. So therefore that you can make an impact and bring an impact to the kingdom. But we need you to put down your shackles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this. We honor you. Um, Lord, I'm so encouraged by the school and by this church. And I just pray a blessing on them so that they will move forward.